this. And uh, it's sure good to see family together, old familiar faces. Yay. Good to see you all here. Uh, Nice to be together. It's also a tough time for a lot of people, okay? So don't forget, as a, as a body of believers, as a, as a family, um, don't forget those that uh, may be hurting with the loss of a loved one. And uh, keep them in your prayers. Keep them in mind and uh, encourage them, okay? That always happens at... Christmas time, it seems. Um, before I get started here, I want to just draw your attention to this little booklet. Um, we bought a bunch of them, and we're going to hand them out tonight. And uh, we want to encourage you to come tonight, not just for the book, but for the time in, in uh, worship and in the time in the Word. But after the service, you can pick up a book. And for those of us that are here on a regular basis at Parkside, um, if you'll maybe just take one per family and leave some for the the visitors, that would help. Um, Just a simple little book that uh, is a helpful one for this Christmas time. It's called Rescuing Christmas by Carl Lafferton. Okay, So um, keep that in mind for tonight. Um, And again... We want to encourage you to be praying for tonight's time. Um, it's not just, a, hey, let's, let's throw some Christmas carols together and, and we'll sing and get all nostalgic. It's about asking God to work in the lives of people that need Jesus Christ. Okay? And uh, we hope that uh, that will happen tonight in God's wonderful way, by God's wonderful doing. Well... Uh, we're going to get started here in our time. And uh, Pastor Brennan, in, in such a great way, uh, went through the book of Mark uh, on the Christmas story from the book of Mark and then from the book of Luke, the Christmas story, and last week through in the book of Matthew with the Christmas story. And today... Um, we are going to look at the Gospel of John and the Christmas story. Well, guess what? There's only one verse, really, that we want to be looking at. So today, we'll be launching off of John 1.14, and many of you are familiar with that. But uh, before we dive into it, we need to appreciate the fact that the, the Apostle John, it's not John the Baptist, it's the Apostle John, who wrote this letter, wrote this gospel, this gospel account. And he um, brilliantly summarized it in John 20, verse 31, where he said, these things, and those first two words are going to be important as we read these verses, these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. Then in the next chapter, chapter 21, in verse 24, he said, This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. 
And we know that his testimony is true. I, I didn't connect with Tim on his uh, uh, story here about mom and Mrs. Pattison. That, that wasn't orchestrated, but uh, that serves as a, a great introduction here. Some of you believe in a false witness regarding Christmas. You believe in a false witness, a false testimony. It's the world's, or it's your own, or it's Hollywood's, or it's Fifth Avenue, the marketing scheme, or it's science and evolution. You believe a false testimony. And what we want to do is put forth the the testimony that's given here in the Word of God. And so, yeah, we, we live in a world of skepticism. Of what is true or what is fake. And uh, it's not just in the last year that fake news has popped up on the scene. I think it's, as it always been around, <laughs> and we we have to be discerning and we have to learn if you're a believer in Jesus Christ we have to learn to look at life through the lens of scripture not just the lens of your uh, college career your college experience or your work experience or your upbringing whatever we need to look at life through the lens of scripture more and more and more and so I want to challenge all of us to examine our take on Christmas and how we celebrate or maybe what we celebrate. Okay? It's always nice to add the little manger scene to our Christmas thinking, you know, and say there's Jesus. <laughs> but it's much, much more important than that. And so Christmas in a word. Christmas in a word. Look with me at John chapter 1 verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So this morning, we're just going to take that verse and break it up into portions and uh, examine a few things about each little phrase. So number one is the Word. The Word. Who is the Word? And to understand that, we have to look again. This is simple Bible study stuff. I'm not, like Pastor Brennan said last week, I'm not going to be presenting anything new. But we need to hear these things again and again and again. So um, we want to look at verses 1 through 5 to understand who the Word is. Who is he saying the Word is? Is it a nice concept? Is it a philosophy? What is it? In the beginning, verse 1, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And so, first of all, about the Word, we see that it is eternal in existence, eternal in existence. And obviously, um, 
most all of us understand that this is simply John echoing Genesis 1. In the beginning, God. And Moses, the, uh, the human author of Genesis, doesn't take time to explain where God came from. In the beginning, God. He's there. He's already there. And that's the idea here. The Word is eternal in existence. He was, in verse 2, he was in the beginning with God. It wasn't that he became anything. He was always there, eternal in existence. And some of us want to wrap, try and wrap our minds around that and, and uh, put our science classes and our science understanding to it, and it doesn't work. We need to go with what God is saying here about himself. And either he's given us a myth or he's telling us what? The truth. So letter A under number one, he's eternal in existence. Letter B, he's distinct in personhood. Distinct in personhood. And you're saying, wait, 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 wait. I thought there's one God. Yes, there's one God. But now we're seeing that he's distinct in personhood. And you see that. In the second phrase of verse 1, the Word was with God. Not just that the Word was God, but the Word was with God. And we have to, it helps to go to John, uh, we won't turn there, but we know John 3.16. Most everyone knows John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Now, that phrase, only begotten, is a bit misleading. Why? Because all of a sudden we think, what? Well, see, he was born. Well, yeah, he was born. What are we celebrating in a Christmas? But we we got some tension going on here, right? If he's eternal, then there he started when he was born. No, the, the term only begotten would be better translated the one and only. The one and only of its kind. In other words, the unique son of God. Okay? And so, commentators will say that this is, here's the, the reference to the second person of the Trinity. That's what we believe in our, in our doctrinal statement. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. One God, three distinct persons as one God. And so the Word then existed eternally in the closest possible connection with God the Father. So that's what the second phrase shows, that the word is not um, some concept. The word is not an idea, not a good thought. Um, the word is a person in, in close, intimate relationship since eternity past. Okay? And that, come, that becomes important when Jesus goes to the cross, when he cries out, But, Father, why hast thou forsaken me? 
And that's the first time in eternity that he's experienced that. So eternal and existent uh, existence and distinct in personhood. Let us see divine. He's simply divine. He is God and the word was God. And notice how he then breaks it out as creator. The word is creator. Yes. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. And then it goes on to say, he is the source of life and light for all of humanity. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Okay? So there's a similarity there with the the idea of the word was God. Life was light. There's that uh, rhythm, if you will, that John is, is putting forth for us. The word is God and the life came and the source of life is our light. And the Bible declares these two things. We are both spiritually dead before coming to faith in Christ. We're spiritually dead and we're in spiritual darkness. So that business of Christ being the the source of life and light directly... uh, addresses those two areas, right? Upon Adam and Eve's sin, there's death. There's separation from God. And then people died. That wasn't the intention. But because of sin, spiritual death was there. And then physical death followed. And along with that, being in spiritual darkness, just not understanding purpose of life and why we're here. Until the life comes and the light is, sh- is shining upon us, Jesus. Now, one of these issues here regarding the Creator under letter C, point number one, letter C, His divine nature, the Word was God. We wanna, I want to back up to this issue that He's Creator. We're not talking about God and then Jesus is something else. We're talking that John is is telling us the Word was God and He's Creator. The Word is the Creator. Jesus ends up being, if He's truly from eternity past, He's the agent of, here's creation, along with the Spirit of God. In Him, all things were made. All things were made through him. And without him was not... He just he flips this over. He's taken... Here's a positive approach to it. All things were made through him. And then without him was not anything made that was made. He's being very emphatic about this. But you know what? 99% of us in here, we've grown up with what? The idea of evolution. This is how things came about. We've gradually gotten better. And look at our society now and all this. And yet... We're, we're just sidestepping the truth about God. God has given mankind ability to learn and, and be intelligent and all that. God's given that. And we can study things in science. We can study the stars and, and all, all about science. We can study it. 
I'm not very good at it myself. <laughs> so I, I, I couldn't sit and have a debate with somebody. But again, either this, either this is a myth or he's telling the truth. Okay? And that's the witness. That's why we started with John saying, this is the witness. Here's the witness of it. And we have to zero in on that and decide what's it going to be. What do we believe? So, he's the divine nature. The word was God. He's our creator. He's the source of life and light. Okay? So that's the word. Again, that's, that's very quick going through that one phrase, the word. Number two on your outline, the word became flesh. Now, in becoming flesh, the Word did not cease being God. In other words, it's like He became flesh, and oh, now He's man. And this, behind this topic is a whole bunch of heresies that follow all throughout history, all throughout civilization. Many heresies come with this area. Oh, he, yes, he, he became a man. And that's, that was, you know, that's debatable. I mean, obviously, Joseph must have had relationships with Mary. No, the Bible says the Holy Spirit brought about conception within Mary. Again, if it's God, it's not a problem. Do you believe that? It's not a problem. If it's God, he can. He can do that. If it's God, he can walk on water. If it's God, he can raise the dead. If it's God. Okay? And all too often, our mind just jumps over to what I learned in school. Well, that's not what we learned in school. So what are you going to believe? What are you going to go with? What are you going to live and be convicted by in your life? And see, that kind of... Uh, build-up shows that we are conflicted in our minds about what's really true. But if you and I spend time in the Word and let the Word do its work in our lives, and if we're truly Christians, we have the Spirit of God within us bringing about conformity to the image of Christ. And then we can walk in confidence in life, saying, Thus saith the Lord. Okay, I need to keep going here. <laughs> the Word became flesh. So, another wor- one word description for that is what? Incarnation. The incarnation of God Himself. God entered into the world as a babe. Okay? And so, I'll say it again. In becoming flesh, the Word did not cease being God. He became man while remaining fully God. And maybe you've heard it said, you know, can you imagine Mary, once the baby's born? She's looking into the eyes of who? God. That's a miracle. That's amazing. We ought to be in awe of this. So I want to tell you two things that are required, or that really um, demand 
God becoming flesh. Number one, letter A, number two, is it was required for the actual human experience. We kind of joke about it. You know, you guys that are carpenters, uh, did Jesus ever miss and hit his hand? (laughs) Well, we can't speculate. But if he's perfect, no. (laughs) And he, yes, he is perfect. Anyway, that's... That's a side thing there. But listen, I've got a a reference mentioned here, uh, or a reference for you there. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 through 18. Listen to this. You don't have to turn there, but just listen. Since therefore the children, that's humanity, the children share in flesh and blood. He himself, that's Christ, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subjects to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And jot down this other reference, Hebrews 4.15. Hebrews 4.15, where it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. How do you finish it? Yet, without sin. The point is, Jesus does relate to you, no matter what you've experienced. He knows, because He's been there. He became flesh. Flesh and blood. So, it was for the human experience. And secondly, letter B, required for the actual blood sacrifice. There had to be a blood sacrifice. That's why He came. He was born to go to the cross. He was born to die. And and die a substitutionary, sacrificial death for mankind, for all who would believe. Hebrews chapter 10 Verses 3 through 10 says this. In these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. He's talking about the old covenant. Reminder of sins all the time. For the blood of bull and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, incarnation, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. He had to become flesh. To be a sacrifice for sinners. And then in verse 9 it says, And Jesus, and he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus once and for all. Listen, all those who um, 
believe in Jesus, but keep trying to do works to think that they're adding to their uh, reception of God's favor, are doing that in vain. You're doing that in vain. You're doing that in an empty way. Why? Because of this verse. The offering of the body of Jesus once and for all. There's no more need for anything to be done to merit God's favor because that's how it's done through the work of Christ. He offered his body once and for all. And you compare that with what we learned in, you know, here in the Old Testament. You have to keep on sacrificing animals, bloody religion. And here's the Lamb of God sacrificed once and for all. So, He became flesh, the incarnation. It was required for actual human experience and actual blood sacrifice. Then the verse, verse 14 says this. What's next? And he dwelt, number three, and he dwelt among us. Most of you know that term dwelt among us is the word uh, in, in a tent. A lot of you like camping and you set up your, your campers or your tents and what are the features of that? It's pretty cool because you can pack it up or flop it down and cover it up and drive back home. So the idea is that it's temporary, right? Well, that's what Jesus did. The eternal God coming into this world. He dwelt among us. He tabernacled, letter A. He tabernacled. And we ought to have some reminders of what we study through um, in regards to the book of Exodus. Uh, the tabernacle was not a permanent building. It was temporary. It was a simple dwelling place. However, it was centrally located in the encampment of Israel so that everyone saw there's, the, there's, the, there's where God dwells. Now, that wasn't really where God dwelt, but for the Israelites, that's where God's presence could be experienced, right there in the tabernacle. It was the place for sacrifices. It was a place for the keeping of the the two tablets, the Ten Commandments. It was all for the purpose of God-ordained worship so that the people would understand this is why you've been rescued, to come and serve and worship God. They were rescued out of the land of Egypt, right? So the, the, the Word dwelt among us, tabernacled. Then letter B. It's where God meets with man. And again, these are... The Word fulfills all these Word pictures and the foreshadowing of Jesus in the Old Testament. The Word fulfills that. Okay? Jesus fulfilled it. Because He is the Messiah. He is the Word made flesh. And here in letter B, under number 3, is where God meets with man. And there's all sorts of references that... Uh, support that idea where God meets with man. Where? where? With Jesus. With the Word. John 14, 6, right? I am the way, the truth, and the life. What's the next part? No man, no one, no person comes unto me. Come, I'm sorry, comes unto the Father, but through me. Jesus' exclusivity there. Then Romans 5, verse 1. You can jot that down. Romans 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith in Christ, right? We have peace with God. So it's through Christ that we 
come to meet God. It's not on your own. It's not through some other uh, teaching. Not through some other God or idol or whatever. Not through a certain country. No. Only through the one who came. Jesus. So. He became flesh. We be, we, and he dwelt among us. And then number four. And we beheld his glory. We beheld his glory. And there's three points here under number four. Letter A is that we've seen, it's been, his glory was seen and reported by eyewitnesses. And there's the connection again to the start of the message. John was one of those. He was an eyewitness of what? Well, many things that Jesus did. He walked and talked and lived with them for three years. But in particular is the Mount of Transfiguration. Okay? Here's Jesus unveiling His glory. So, it's not just in all of His miracles that His glory is shown, but here, especially in the Mount of Transfiguration. And those are references there, especially the Matthew 17, verses 1 through 5. Along with that, His glory was displayed in His death. Letter B. His glory was displayed in His death. And there's, again, all sorts of references for that. But in particular, when Judas left the scene in the upper room, Judas walked off. All the other disciples weren't quite sure what was going on. And Judas walked off. And what did Jesus say at that very moment? Now. See, hold on. Hold on to that thought. Previously... Jesus was holding back from showing his glory. He was holding it back. In, according to the, the account in the, in the Gospel of John, he was kind of saying, not yet, not yet. But here at this moment, where Judas is going to portray him, he knows it, Jesus knows. And at this moment, in John 13, 31, he says, now, now is the Son of Man glorified and say wait a minute it, you know here we're supposed to be um, lifting you up as our king and as our leader you're the messiah you're the king and he's turning things around it's not supposed to happen this way <laughs> and that's obviously what happened in the moments and in, in the hours to come and Jesus is saying it's here. It's at my death, at my betrayal, my arrest, and my death that the Son of Man is to be glorified and God is glorified in Him. When you think of glory, you know, a lot of times, uh, I know for guys, we think of, you know, here's the championship, you know, whatever sport. Championship, the team wins and oh, such glory and such celebration and all. Oh, and we like that. We like the celebration part. But here's what, in essence, he's saying. Let's glory about my death. Let's celebrate this. That's, what the, that's the idea behind glory. <laughs> because he knew what it would accomplish in the long run. For eternity. Do you know that your eternity is what's at stake? 
in this? Some of you sitting here, you will face an eternity without God. It's not my opinion. It's not the church's opinion. Although it is what we believe because it comes from the Word of God. Your eternity is at stake. Where will you be? There's plenty of people that die. I'm going to go ahead and say it. There's just plenty of people that die and it's, it's too late. Boom. It, they're gone. And the Bible is given as a testament, a witness to point you to the cross where Jesus died and to believe in Him. Not just to add it to your, your, uh, your club membership thing in your brain but to have faith in the Lord Jesus. That's what it comes to here when we talk about letter B. The glory of God is displayed in His death because really, you should have been there. You were supposed to die taking on the punishment of your own sin. Right? But Jesus stepped in. And He took your place. We need you to think about that. Letter C. Under number four. His glory will be proclaimed all throughout heaven. It's His heavenly glory. His heavenly glory. That's what we will look forward to in heaven. Number five. We beheld His glory, but number five is full of grace and truth. Grace, totally and completely a gift. Most of us understand this. It's not something that we deserved. It's a gift to the undeserved. And it's not like we would have gotten around to being deserving of it. We never would be deserving of His grace. And that's, listen... That's not just in saving you. That's His grace covers your life. That's what He wants you to understand. My grace is what? Sufficient for you. Today. Tomorrow. When you turn 80. When you turn 90. His grace is sufficient for for us. Okay? And if we're strangers to that, then we've got some... We've got some problems we need to make, make right through the teaching of the Word of God. Letter B. Not just full of grace, but full of grace and truth. Letter B. Truth. It's our standard. Can you imagine living in a world of, that's all fake news, if you will? That's all, it can be false stuff? Well, we do. We live in a world that's got darkness. And there's lies going on all the time. But don't we want to get to the bottom of this? Whatever it is. We want the truth, don't we? We want the truth. You can't handle... Right? All that stuff about the the truth. You can't handle the truth. Listen. The Bible tells us... Well... Life. We can define truth from understanding life. It's our standard. We want truth. It, it's, it, truth is always in accordance with the facts of life. Right? 
He spoke truth. Jesus spoke truth to everyone about God and about their sin problem. He didn't hold back. He revealed truth to individuals and he promised that the truth would set people free. And Jesus, it says, the Bible says he came full of grace and truth. So letter C, grace and truth were both fully expressed. Not that one was greater than the other. Grace and truth were fully expressed in Jesus. Totally unlike you and me. Okay? Totally unlike us. Here's, here's what I would say is a great uh, phrase for the perfection of Jesus. Full of grace and truth. I am not. You are not full of grace and truth. It's only because of Jesus that we can know His grace and know His truth. And they were both expressed at the cross. In His grace, we said it already, I'll say it again. He bore your sins and my sins in His body. On the cross, He absorbed the wrath of God that I deserved, that you deserved. And in truth, truth was fully expressed there at the cross. Why? How's that? God is righteous. God is just. God is holy. And He didn't sidestep punishing sin. He didn't sidestep punishing evil. He's a righteous judge. And He's going to deal with the truth. And so the truth he proves that God is just Jesus. But, you know, here's, here's punishing man's sin. And Jesus received that punishment in our stead. And a little added one on number five, letter D. This was the Father's good pleasure. Again, here's a... Why is this good? Because of what it accomplishes in the long run. Here's the Father's good pleasure... In Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. Nothing lacking, nothing missing in Christ because here's the fullness of God dwelling in His, in his life, in His body. Now, we come to wrap it up here, okay? What was this really all about? This Christmas celebration. Here we are again. They seem to come awfully fast. But here we are again, celebrating Christmas. And I said I want to challenge you about how you celebrate Christmas or what you celebrate about Christmas. It can be something really good. I, you know, um, being with family. Being with family, that's really good. Isn't that important? Some of you can't be with family and some of you are with family. And it's like, I, I want to be with family. But that's not what's most important about Christmas. If we're going with what the Word says. The Word came to reveal God. As we close this up, it's on your outline there. If you want to fill in the blanks here, the word came to reveal God. 
Jesus said, if you have seen me, he said this in John chapter 14. He said, if you've seen me, you have seen who? The Father. He also came not only to reveal God, but to finish what I could never accomplish. To finish what I could never accomplish. He presented his, listen, look and listen. He presented his perfect righteousness. Not a, uh, oh, that's close. That's really close, so we'll take that righteousness. No, he hit it dead center. Here he presented his perfect righteousness that you and I, you know, our, our bent, our, our default is to try to show our own righteousness. We, we want to show our own righteousness that we're, we're pretty good people. Most all of us think we're pretty good people. And that's a subtle way of saying, uh, God, look at me. Well, Christ came to present his perfect righteousness because you and I fell short of what? The connection is short of the glory of God. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Well, there's his righteousness. That's what he glories in is the fact that Christ lived a perfectly righteous life. No one could accuse him of anything, of any wrongdoing. And then through that, he paid my, he paid my debt. And he secures my pardon. He secures my pardon and my position. You understand that? Are you a child of God? How do you know that? You base that on good behavior or base that on the work of Christ? Okay? So here's, here's that conflicting thing in our brains. You know, I want to be a good person. Well, no. Faith in Christ makes you a child of God. Let's live and walk that way. Let's make that the basis of our motivation. Right? Not only did he pay my debt and secured my pardon and my position, but he brings about, we read it already, brings about peace with God. And finally, what he says or as to why he came, and I, I bring this forth because he loves me. If you're like me, there's a lot of times you have a hard time understanding God loves you. We all too often want um, acceptance from other people. And we figure we never get it with God because we're not good enough. Right. Did you catch that? You aren't. You aren't good enough. <laughs> and yet he still found worth in sending Christ to die in your place. Okay? Think about that. The self... Listen. The self existent creator of all would care enough to leave heaven to leave his close intimate relationship with God the Father and God the Spirit and not just to come and level everything and, and get things you know right no he came to die my death Ligon Duncan 
he's a pastor and, and, and Bible teacher, he says this, Christmas really announces the most surprising, the most shocking thing ever in the history of the world. That God, who made everything, has come to us in our flesh. So, we close with this. His testimony is clear. What testimony are you living by? Jesus, we already quoted John 14, 6. Remember that one? John 5, verse 24 says, Truly, Jesus saying, Truly, truly, I say to you, He who hears my words and believes... I'm sorry. He who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death unto life. And that judgment is simply there because of here's the sin problem that we live in. And I'm one of the contributors to it. However, because of Christ, now I've been forgiven and pardoned. I need to live in such a way that shows I'm a child of the light. The child of, of God's family. So it comes down to, in regards to thinking this over, it says, you know, the Bible is basically saying, believe it or perish. Receive or reject the message. You know, there's not an in-between. There's not a, a middle of the road here. Jesus also said this, you know, we like to pump up the the good things that Jesus said. But here's something that Jesus said. Think about this. Unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. Jesus is the Word. God's very expression, God's communication to you and to me in love and in truth. And He is the worthy one. We sing it real good. You know, you sing beautifully this morning. Come and worship. Come and worship. Or come and adore Him. Let's be people that do that. Let's be people of our Word that exalt the Word. The Word of God. The Word that is Jesus. Whose witness will you believe? That of the world? Hollywood? Science, evolution, mom or dad, grandpa or grandmas, or the Word of God. Let's stand together in closing. If you would just, uh, we're going to pray in a moment here. And then following our time of prayer, uh, we have a couple who will come forth and uh, If you need prayer or counsel, we want to encourage you to come and and talk to one of them that's up front here. Um, And again, we all think, oh, it's a wonderful, beautiful, happy day. And yet it might be that you're struggling. And so we want to encourage you to come forward and pray with those who are up front here. So whose witness will you believe? Let's just please close your eyes, bow your head and listen to the word of God. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God, that He is born concerning His Son. 
Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made God a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Oh Lord, how great you are. You're greater than we could ever understand. You're far greater than our minds could grasp. You're the Almighty God. You're the perfect one, the the creator and the maker of all. And we bow before you. You deserve our worship. You deserve our praise. We deserve your punishment because of our rebellion and our sin against you. Whether it's in big ways or little ways, Lord, we're guilty. But we thank you that you intervened. You intervened by sending your son. And God came to earth and God was born that night. And God was a little baby and God grew up and God went and talked to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes and God raised up a sick girl. And God, you forgave a prostitute. And God, you walked on the water and you fed the 5,000. And God, you went to the cross and bore our sins and took our penalty. And we praise you. I pray that you would speak and work in the lives of people here that have been believing a lie and believing the wrong testimony about Christmas. I pray that you would speak to them and help them to understand about faith and repentance, faith in the Son of God, Jesus, and repentance from sin. And give them new life in Christ, we pray. And help us as Christians to remember that you came. You you were born into this world to die that bloody death, all for your glory and for our redemption. Please be glorified in our time tonight and thank you again for the fellowship that you give us in Jesus. We praise you in Christ's name. And everyone said, amen. God bless you. Hope you can make it tonight.